So last week we began this new series of sermons on the sublimely simple, yet simply sublime, Psalm 20. A wealth of truth for every day of our lives, not just in those times of grief or when we're dealing with death. And in these six verses, we see a beautiful, powerful portrait of God as our good shepherd and our gracious host, who leads his people through every circumstance of life and in every season that we face. King David wrote this psalm when he was older. He was towards the end of his life, and he was looking back, reflecting over the varied seasons of his life, the ups and downs, the ins and outs. But he did it through the eyes of a younger version of himself when he was shepherding his father's flocks in those fields. This psalm is a rare psalm in that there are no complaints, no laments, not even a regret, a psalm of confidence and trust in our good shepherd. Let's look at it together one more time before we begin. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for His namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So last week we were introduced to this motif of the Lord as our shepherd in verse 1. As David praised the Lord God of Israel as his good and gracious shepherd. Our good shepherd is always with us, leading us through every circumstance and stage of life. And with David, we can say with confidence that we will not lack anything of worth, value, or necessity when we enjoy God's personal presence and His faithful provision in our lives. Now, we said this last week at the end of the sermon. I said that David leaves this verse open-ended. He just ends it. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. Period. There's In want of what? He leaves us wondering, what does David not lack? What does our good shepherd provide for us? And that's what the rest of the psalm answers. That's what we're going to be spending the next several weeks discovering. In verses 2 and 3, David celebrates God's promise to meet our needs and to guide our lives. And today I want us to look at the first two needs that our shepherd provides for us. Rest and refreshment. That's what we're going to look at today. Does your soul ever feel weary? Restless? It's 2020. I think we're all weary, right? We're all, I've, I've talked to so many people that have just said, I'm, just, I'm tired of all this. I'm weary of this. And, and life can be that way. Even if it's 2021, life can feel that way. We, we, this constant striving, like we're pedaling uphill all the time. Like we're rowing against the stream, swimming against the current. That we're, we're fighting and clawing our way for the things that we hope will satisfy our hungers and quench our thirsts. We long for fame. You know, even if that's just a, a like on Facebook, right? We, we long for that personal recognition to know that somebody's thinking of us or speaking well of us. We claw our way towards success. Whether that's finishing a homework assignment, wrapping up a project, winning a game, or getting a promotion, we hunger for success. 
We hunger for pleasure, for fun. I mean, I have a friend from college, I saw on Facebook the day, he went skydiving. And he videotaped himself jumping out of a perfectly good airplane. Like, why did you do that? Because we, we are adrenaline junkies, aren't we? We're, we're looking for that next big thrill, for that next big laugh. We, we long for that pleasure. And we thirst for meaning and for purpose. But are we ever satisfied? Are we ever satisfied? It's like the song says, everybody's just working for the weekend. Right? Just working to have some fun, spend some money, make some memories. But what happens? Every time, Monday comes rolling back around, right? Monday is always going to come, and we start that rat race all over again. And, and it just seems like we're just in this never-ending cycle, and nothing ever satisfies, and we never seem to arrive. And the more we follow this pattern, the more we resonate with the writer of Ecclesiastes who said everything is meaningless. Utterly meaningless. What does a man gain from his labor at which he toils under the sun? You ever feel that way? Jesus understood that. He understood that feeling. In fact, Jesus spoke about this in the Sermon on the Mount. He addressed those who spend their lives pursuing temporal happiness and material gain, houses to live in, food to eat, clothes to wear. And don't we live in a society that's driven by these physical hungers and thirsts, by sexual desires and sensual pleasures and materialistic gain. That's our world. Jesus said in Matthew 6, Do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans, lost people, people that don't know God, they run after all these things. And your Heavenly Father knows you need them. See, we are far more than just bodies to clothe, house, and feed. We're far more than minds just to entertain and fill with information. We're more than appetites to satiate and thirst to quench. As the writer of Proverbs says, don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. Be wise enough to know when to quit. In the blink of an eye, wealth disappears, for it will sprout wings like eagles and fly away. And that's what Psalm 23, 2 can help us with. It can help us not wear ourselves out in the pursuit of the flesh. David is telling us that when God's people trust in their shepherd, they're going to have all that they really need. Or as Jesus went on to say in the Sermon on the Mount, but seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself each day has enough trouble of its own. And if the Lord is your shepherd, you can afford not to worry about tomorrow because guess what? That's the shepherd's job. You think sheep wake up in the morning worrying about where they're going to get some clean water that day? You think sheep spend their day anxious over where the green pastures are going to come tomorrow? No. The shepherd worries about these things. And when the Lord is our shepherd, we can focus on God's kingdom and pursue His righteousness, those things that really matter, those things that matter in a deeper sense for all of time and eternity. Why? Because the temporal things that so many people wear themselves out pursuing and worrying about and making their souls weary and restless over, guess what? We can trust our shepherd with those things. We know that ultimately He is the 
source of our safety and our sufficiency and our satisfaction. So when your soul gets weary, when you're restless, we can turn to our good shepherd and we can find rest in God's presence. We can find rest. That's what it says here in verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. And the deepest kind of rest that we can experience is what the Bible calls Sabbath rest. Because Sabbath rest is about far more than just a day of the week. I mean, that's a start. Taking a day off a week is a start. But Sabbath rest is so much more than that. It's about trusting in God and being grateful for His sufficient provision. Now, the Jews of Jesus' day got it all backwards. Ironically, they thought that Sabbath rest was a way to work for your salvation. (laughs) That's crazy. But the Pharisees, they piled on so many rules, so many regulations about what you could and couldn't do, how much work you could or couldn't uh, do, how far you could travel. I mean, they had all of these rules and regulations. And even to this day, when I was in Israel, they've got special doors, like the hotel we were at on, on the Sabbath after we got there, uh, there's a special Sabbath door. It even says Sabbath door. Even the doors can't work on the Sabbath. And so the door has to stay open. And it can't open and close. It's always open. And you walk in that way so you don't do work and the door doesn't do work. Elevators have a special Sabbath button. I never pressed it. I wish I had. I'm not sure what it does when you, when you push it. But there's a, it says Sabbath on it. Uh, kitchen appliances have certain regulators built into them that can keep you from cooking on the Sabbath day. Now, I know some of you are thinking that's not a, that's not like a bad idea, right? If your stove just didn't work on Sunday, it'd be kind of nice, wouldn't it? And so Jesus had to correct this. He said Sabbath rest is a gift from God, meant for our benefit, for our recreation, for restoring our weary souls. Jesus told the Pharisees in Mark 2, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The commands about Sabbath rest and the law of Moses, even more than that, they're actually there to point us to Jesus because Jesus is the fulfillment of Sabbath rest. It is in Him that we find true recreating, restoring rest. Jesus said this in Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30. He said, Come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Doesn't that sound good? When you're weary, when you're worn out and tired, to come to Jesus and find rest. But isn't it strange that we have such a hard time accepting this gift of Sabbath rest? And sometimes we outright refuse it. And maybe it's because we don't really trust our shepherd to supply our needs. Maybe it's because we have a spirit of ingratitude about all that God has provided for us. Either way, we often rebel against lying down in green pastures, which is why David writes, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Sometimes God has to make us do what's best for us, doesn't he? Sort of like a a parent. You know, God sometimes has to tell us, stop being a brat, go lie down. Take a nap. Get some rest. The problem's with us. We have a hard time with this idea of resting. And so our weariness oftentimes is of our own making. So how does our shepherd make us 
lie down in green pastures. Well, in his book, A Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm, Philip Keller shares his own insight. He, he was a shepherd. And he outlines four requirements that must be met for sheep to be able to lie down and rest. It's freedom from fear, freedom from friction, freedom from pests, and freedom from hunger. And it's only the shepherd who can provide them with freedom from these worries. The sheep are incapable of providing that for themselves. But the shepherd makes it possible for them to lie down and relax and rest and find refreshment. So let's look at how our shepherd can provide us freedom from these four things. First, he gives us freedom from fear. Sheep are skittish creatures. It doesn't take a whole lot to get a sheep spooked and then bolt and run, and then before you know it, the whole flock is running wild. It makes sense, though, because sheep have no natural defenses. And there's plenty of predators, especially in, in Palestine, in Israel, in Canaan. There's plenty of predators. There's, there's lions and there's bears and there's, there's wolves and there's thieves. There's all kinds of things to come after them. So you really can't blame them for being timid creatures who bolt at the first sign of danger, which is why the shepherd had to keep watch over his flock by night. And in John chapter 10, Jesus says this. He says, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus says he is the source of safety that gives the sheep the freedom to come and go and find pasture because they know that they're safe in their shepherd's care. There's no substitute for knowing that our shepherd is present in our lives, that he is near to us. His presence among us dispels our fear, calms our hearts and minds, and removes the terror that wants to seize us. Because life is full of danger, isn't it? We're not promised the next second, much less the next day or the next week. As we read from Jesus a few minutes ago, he tells us don't worry about tomorrow. Let tomorrow worry about itself because each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus doesn't miss any words about this. And, and we can either let the reality of danger, the possibility of failure, the likelihood of loss, we can let these things paralyze us with fear and keep us from enjoying the abundant life God has for us, or we can look to our shepherd to let him put our minds at ease. Now, this verse in 2 Timothy 1.7, we see this verse all over the place. It's on crosses, it's on signs and yards, it's in businesses. For God has not give us, given us a spirit of fearfulness. He's not given us a spirit of fear. But one of power, love, and sound judgment. The question is, will we trust in our shepherd's constant presence and watchful eye? Will we let him help us overcome our fear so we can rest? He sets us free from fear. Secondly, he sets us free from friction. Keller describes the budding order in the flock. There's an established order of dominance among the sheep in a flock. Keller writes, Generally an arrogant, cunning, and domineering old ewe will be the boss of any bunch of sheep. And what happens is this old ewe will butt and drive away all the other ewes and the lambs from the best grazing land and keep all that grazing for herself. And this rivalry, this, 
this tension and competition for status, it causes friction within the flock. And the other sheep becomes tense, discontent, irritable. They'll even stop eating, lose weight, and, and, and not produce good wool. We're really not all that different from sheep, are we? We can be guilty of the same kind of selfish, arrogant behavior, you know, jockeying for position, being domineering, lording our authority and position over others. We can create tension. We can be irritable. And we can do harm to our family, our place of work, our team, our church. We read this last week in Ezekiel 34. God says, I myself will tend my sheep and will have them lie down. Same Hebrew word that's used here in Psalm 23. He says, I will search for the lost, bring back the strays, I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, but the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. Picture a flock where those sleek and strong sheep are bullying all the other sheep keeping them from eating the green grass and drinking the clear water, keeping all of that for themselves. So they enjoy all the blessings to the detriment of the flock. But guess what? The shepherd cares about all the sheep, doesn't he? Not just the strong ones. He cares about all the sheep. And so he's going to deal with those difficult sheep that are hurting the flock. And in extreme cases, that may mean that the shepherd's going to have mutton for supper. But typically... Just the presence of the shepherd in the midst of his flock is enough to stop the fighting. Just the shepherd being there is enough to end the foolish rivalries and those less aggressive sheep can find contentment, quiet, and rest. So when we're being pulled apart by our struggles for self-assertion and recognition, when we're being pulled apart because we're jockeying for positions of power, when we let people drive us crazy or we're driven crazy by covetousness for what they have, we need to ask ourselves, am I letting the shepherd be present in my life? Or am I pushing him to the side at work and at home and in how I'm serving at church? As Keller reflects, I would much rather have the affection of the good shepherd than occupy a place of prominence in society, especially if I had to attain it by fighting, quarreling, and bitter rivalry. Our shepherd will free us from fear. He'll free us from friction with one another. And third, he'll free us from aggravation. Not only can the sheep aggravate each other, but they're also prone to being aggravated by fleas and flies and ticks and parasites and the diseases that they bring. And when the sheep are so tormented by that, they won't lie down and rest. A good shepherd can spot an aggravated sheep out in the field because it's on its feet, it's stamping its feet, it's shaking its head, it's probably rubbing its head against the side of a tree. And a good shepherd's going to see that and act on that. And a really good shepherd is going to do what he can to avoid that happening in his flock. He's going to use insect repellent or he's going to have a sheep dipped. In ancient Israel, shepherds would pour oil on the sheep's head because that would keep away the fleas and the ticks and the flies. We'll talk about that in a few verses. But, you know, we all deal with aggravations, don't we? Those seemingly minor annoyances and frustrations that we think, that really shouldn't bug me, but guess what? It bugs me, right? It can drive us crazy. And we can become short-tempered and irritable. And, and sadly, those closest to us are often the ones that kind of take the brunt of that. Guess what? 
there isn't anything too minor. There's no annoyance or aggravation too small for you to take it to God in prayer. To trust Him to give us relief by either helping us deal with the problems or giving us the peace and the patience we need to put up with them. Jesus warned us that we would have problems in this world, but He promised us peace in dealing with them. Or as Peter writes in 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your cares on Him because He cares for you. Now, does Peter say cast all of your big cares on Him, the really important ones? No, he says cast all your cares on Him, big and small, because He cares for you. Our good shepherd wants us to rest, so He will free us from fear. He will free us from friction. He'll free us from the aggravations of life, either by removing them or helping us to cope and deal with them. And lastly, He will free us from hunger. Now, Israel is an arid country. It's a rocky, arid country. And when I was there, I was blown away by the rocks. I mean, you're just riding along looking at these fields and hillsides. It's like a great big airplane flew over and just opened up cargo doors and just dumped rocks everywhere. They're just everywhere. It's crazy. But sheep in Israel thrive in this semi-arid environment. It actually helps to keep some of those pests and diseases down. But they still need green grass to eat. They still need clean water to drink. And those things don't just happen by chance in Israel. It takes time and skill and hard work on the shepherd's part to provide them for the sheep, to cultivate pastures for the sheep to, to eat in. Well, first you've got to go remove all those rocks. You've got to cut out all the brush that the sheep would, would eat instead of the green grass, even though the green grass is better for them. Yet another way we're like sheep. We don't want to eat the stuff that's good for us, right? We want to eat the stuff that's not good for us. And, and then he's got to prepare the soil. He's got to plow it, and he's got to fertilize it. He's got to sow the grass. He's got to keep it watered. That's a lot of work to feed some sheep. And then shepherds, when they are grazing their sheep, they'll often start them in the pasture they grazed in the night before. So it's, it's, it's been gone over real good. The real good tender stuff's already gone. They'll start them there, or they may start them in some of the more wild, rougher places. And, but they move them. All day long, they're moving them to those prepared, lush pastures of grass or they're moving them to the natural oases and, and meadows that are often by sources of water. And so by the time the day has grown long and hot and they're tired, they end up in those lush, green pastures where they can eat their fill and be refreshed and rest. The picture of sheep lying down in green pastures is a picture of sheep whose tummies are full and their fears are assuaged and they're secure in the love and care of their shepherd. The Hebrew word there literally means to stretch themselves out on the grass to rest. And the Hebrew word for green pastures literally means a, a, rest, a restful place of fresh grass. It's a place where we can settle down, we can stretch ourselves out and rest in satisfaction and in safety in the presence of our shepherd. We can be at home there. And this ties right into the second half of this verse. Just as we find rest in God's presence, we also can find refreshment in God's provision. The Hebrew word for quiet waters, or your translation may say still waters, it literally means waters at rest. That The root word there is the same root word used for the pastures. The idea is our shepherd brings us to a quiet, restful place where our hungers are satisfied, our thirsts are quenched by His comforting presence and His abundant provision. 
you won't be surprised to know that sheep also get spooked by running water. I mean, it really doesn't take much to spook sheep. And our shepherd, though, he, he, he knows that. And so he has provided calm waters for the sheep to drink from. So the idea here is you've come to this green pasture, there's a stream there, and they've actually taken the time to carve out a, a, a pool that kind of comes out from the stream where the water can be still and quiet and fresh. So to feed sheep and to water sheep in Israel takes a lot of effort. There's a lot of care. There's a lot of time and labor that goes into it. And it's amazing to consider the great lengths to which God goes to ease our fears, to calm our anxieties, to satisfy our hungers and to quench our thirsts. Amen? He goes to such great lengths for us. It's interesting to note that Jesus called himself the bread of life and the source of living water. In John 6... Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. It doesn't matter what you're afraid of this morning, what you find yourself in need of. It doesn't matter what your faults, your failings, or your weaknesses. Jesus is your sufficiency. He is the source of rest for the weary soul. He's the one who drives away our fears who replaces the friction in our relationships with a humble spirit of service and love. He's the one who gives us peace from the aggravations of life and satisfies the hunger of our hearts. Whereas Philippians 4.19 tells us, God will meet all your needs according to the riches of His glory in Christ Jesus. So I want to conclude this morning by looking at some practical things, three practical applications. What can you and I do? We've looked at what the shepherd does. But what can you and I do to help us take advantage of these green pastures and these quiet waters? How can we let our shepherd lead us and make us lie down? Three things we can do. The first thing is we can take Sabbath rest. Sabbath. This commandment really is a gift to us. In the midst of a frantic world, in the midst of a chaotic year, God desires to give us rest. You know, he, he worked for six days to create the universe, and on the seventh day, He rested. Jesus observed the Sabbath and took other times to get away from the crowds and rest. Now, if God took a day of rest from His creating work, and Jesus took regular times of rest from His ministry... Don't you think you and I need to take some rest? <laughs> if God and Jesus took rest, don't you think you and I need to rest even more than they did? We need the rest. It's no accident that the first thing that Adam and Eve did after they were created was to take a day off and rest with God. Before they ever lifted a spade or, or, or picked some fruit or did anything in that garden, before they named the first animal, they took a day to rest. And it's no accident that after that introductory verse, the first thing we come to in Psalm 23 isn't what the sheep can do or produce for the shepherd. No, it's rest and refreshment. We start from rest. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can ever do is to take a nap. Rest. Take some time. Be with God. The second thing we can do is Scripture. 
Jesus said in Matthew 4, 4, man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And there are countless examples in the Bible of God's word being compared to food. It's called sweeter than a comb of honey. It's referred to as milk and meat. It's called bread. It's depicted as a feast. We need to feed on the word of God to take it in daily and let it nourish our hearts and our souls. How many of you just eat one big meal once or twice a week and that's all you eat all week? Anybody? No. We need sustenance every day. Some of us eat more times a day than we should. What if we hungered for the Word of God like that? What if we were so dependent on God's Word that we just hungered to spend time in it to let it feed our hearts and minds with God's goodness and grace? I encourage you. Find a Bible reading plan. Listen, don't stress too much about how much to read. Reading something every day is better than reading nothing. Amen? We, we kind of get hung up. We're like, well, I've got to read through it in a year. And so we, we let ourselves get discouraged and we don't pick it up at all. Find a good reading plan. Spend some time feeding on the Word of God. We've got resources on our website. Matt, Ben, or I, your Sunday school teacher, countless people in here could point you to a good way that you could spend some time in the Word of God. And the third application, we need Sabbath rest, we need time in Scripture, we need supplication. We need time in prayer before God. If, if reading God's Word is feeding on the green grass, then prayer is how we drink from those still waters. And it's no coincidence that the Holy Spirit is often compared to water in the Bible. In fact, in John 7, 37 through 39, it says, On the last and most important day of the festival, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone is thirsty, he should come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. And then John tells us he said this about the Spirit. So when we come to God in prayer, we're drinking in His Holy Spirit, we're allowing His Spirit to fill us up, which is why Paul wrote, do, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Paul is contrasting drinking wine with drinking of God's Spirit. That's the living water that our souls must drink from daily. Are you drinking in God's Spirit through daily time in God's presence? seeking His face, conversing with Him. Guess what? God wants to hear from you. He wants you to bring your request to Him. He wants you to cast your cares and your burdens upon Him. And when we do, that's when we will find His Spirit taking His Word and using it to give us peace in the face of our fears, to ease the aggravations of life and the frictions of our relationships, and to feed our hungry souls. Take time to rest. Take time to read God's Word. Take time to be refreshed through prayer. Take time right now and consider what has God said to you today. I don't know what you came in here with your needs. I don't know how your soul is weary today. What is making you restless? What fears you might have? What aggravations are driving you up a wall? What friction there might be in some relationship in your life? I don't know what you're hungry and thirsty for today. But God does. And I pray that something, some scripture, some illustration, some point from this message today, I pray that God has spoken to you through it. And you've got a decision to make. And the first and most important decision you can make is, first of all, to let the Lord be your shepherd. 
You may be a lost, wandering sheep out there, and you don't have a shepherd to look after you. You don't have a shepherd to ease your fears and to keep you safe and to lead you to those green pastures and still waters. But guess what? Jesus, the good shepherd who laid his life down for you, he stands ready to welcome you and receive you. He is that gate, and the gate is wide open to let you into his flock. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've never turned from sin and put your trust in him, I invite you to do that today. I'd love to help you do that this morning. If you're on the radio or online, I'd love for you to give us a call and reach out to us. We want to help you know that you belong to his flock. But maybe there's some specific need that God has spoken to your heart about today. Whatever it is, this altar is open. I'll be standing down here to receive any who come. Let's stand together and pray and respond as the Spirit leads us. Father, we are so thankful that you are our good shepherd and you do provide for our needs. Not only our physical needs, but more importantly, the needs of our heart, the needs of our soul. You are there to ease our fears. You're there to give us peace in the face of aggravation. You're there to heal the wounds in our relationships. You're there to satisfy the hungers of our life. You provide for us green pastures to rest in, still waters to be refreshed by, and still that take advantage of it. So I pray that people this morning... And this week would take advantage of all that you provide. May your spirit lead us and guide us in the days to come. It's in Jesus' name we pray.